was the man Fred's. That is the very illiterate and uh, uh, very um, propulsive with its harmonica solo by Paul Jones, single from 1964 by Manfred Mann, entitled 54321. Who was it? Who was in the Trojan horse opening the door? It was the Manfreds opening the door of the really the kingdom of Satan, the door of the enemy so that the good could come through. And the song came into my mind as I was reflecting on the remarkable Mockingbird Ministries conference, which is just very recently concluded in New York City, 2022. And I'd like to reflect a little bit on it um, as um, uh, someone who was deeply touched by what he saw and heard, it would be hard to um, not leave something out, you know, leave one of the hosts out or one of the wonderful talks out or one of the <clears throat> marvelous aspects of it out. And I don't want this to be sort of a breezing through Bavaria National Geographic lecture on the high points of a three-day wonder in New York at um, St. George's Episcopal Church on Stuyvesant Square, helmed by Jacob and Melina Smith. And the conference itself directed by um, David Zoll and his uh, uh, remarkable cast. Uh, but I want to talk about really the bottom line of what the cast uh, connoted and why it was really a, a, a kind of um, – represented a kind of wave or a movement against the um, – really subjective subjection of the world by the powers of ill and by what Paula White uh, says simply the world being the world here we were surrounded by the world being the world on a thousand million different fronts including my very frustrated challenging trip home um, which had a number of uh, side crises which I did not create and uh, uh, brought me home in such a state of exhaustion that I saw, you know, here we were in this moment of the turning of a page into something really profound in the um, the life of American Christianity, possibly world Christianity, and yet then I'm beset by the world and all its uh, tremendous gravitation and magnetic attraction to secondary and tertiary issues while well, the, 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 the person crying in the vine is dying and not listened to and not, uh, not uh, heard. I'm involved currently in a bit of a minor but um, seemingly important controversy about how to conduct a memorial service for the Harvard College class of 1972 and I'm part of the steering committee and, and we have some very ideological uh, clergy they're graduates of the class of 72 there who are on the committee and they're so concerned about uh, contemporary, making contemporary points, contemporary points about basically progressive uh, religion, that uh, it, it hasn't occurred, at least on paper, that what this is is a memorial service for the 166-plus members of our class who have died 
And regardless of what we think about this or that issue, the issue of the memorial service, which has historically been the high point emotionally of the reunion and all the reunions emotionally because of the dead, the loved, the people you died who died. Um, and not once has the discussion focused on the um, on, on, on a those who are coming to mourn their their youthful friends and those who've actually died whose lives are finished uh, in this world. And that has great value, and it's taking place in a Christian church. And uh, and yet the, the pastoral <clears throat> and really the eternal elements of the thing have been entirely subordinated to contemporary uh, issues, all of which have their place, all of which are worthy of discussion. But I thought of the 106, like I felt like Scrooge and Marley looking out the window and seeing our poor 166 classmates. It's probably 170 by now. Um, sort of let me in, you know, like an it, let me in, help me, love me, remember me, hug me, don't let me go off without being, you know, mentioned in that place where I was a young person once and for only, but that's not part of it. So the power of the Mockingbird Conference was its deep alternative spirit to the spirit of the world, and it was deeper now than almost ever, I guess maybe one of the reasons is the pandemic, and we haven't met for two years in person. That may be it. It may be that um, the leadership is now older and in the sort of younger middle years, we're now dealing with people in their late 30s and 40s, mid-40s, you know, is now the, the leadership where it was uh, much younger people. Really, if I'm, if I'm a kind of a grandfather uh, and my own sons and their colleagues and contemporaries are sons and children, you know, there are many women involved, by the way, wonderful contributions from women, wonderful, especially, well, I'll talk about one. And then, um, then the grandchildren, and now we're seeing grandchildren coming forward who have been bitten by the bug of the essence of, um, of the gospel message by which um, the only agency which creates the uh, man and woman of God, which the law requires, is the agency of forgiveness and mercy to those who have broken the law, uh, in whose lives the power of forgiveness, grace, and mercy uh, makes this uh, extraordinarily organic correction, which is beyond words and beyond planning, to become more loving, more hopeful, more earnest, more devoted, and ultimately even more hardworking people. It's extraordinary. That's the, the real essence of it. Now, um, let me just say a couple of things, and then I want to talk about a special guest, because we had one special guest there who I think uh, went unnoticed, and uh, I only really um, realized he was there um, last night, and I want to, uh, <laughs> when I realized that I'm kind of, I want to bring him into it. Now, um, Andy Squires was the um, chaplain and uh, sort of worship leader, and uh, I was not expecting much because I didn't know Andy's work, and it, he ended up as as, as uh, counterintuitive a spokesman for what Mockingbird is all about as one could possibly imagine. There were many, many other things to talk about, but initially we had a talk from Aaron Zimmerman, um, the rector of St. Albans, Waco, entitled Hope of Deliverance from the Darkness that Surrounds Us, playing on uh, what some people regard as the slightly dumb, but I think is a very good song by Paul McCartney. And uh, Aaron used a video, in addition to the McCartney video from the 80s or 90s, I think it was the early 90s, he used a video by Florence and the Machine, entitled Free, <clears throat> and it's fairly new, apparently, and I'd never seen it. It's about as powerful a... Uh, a cinematic um, statement about anxiety 
and uh, the cure, you might say, for lifelong, hard-driving, compulsive anxiety, <clears throat> as one could imagine. It was really, um, it was really, uh, it was really a moment of tremendous uh, revelatory insight that came into it. And uh, what um, Aaron communicated was depth and understanding of the human condition, and I believe the human tragedy, the human tragedy, which looks like a comedy, but ultimately it feels like a tragedy. And uh, he saw it. And he said it in a way that struck me as going deeper than I've ever heard Aaron speak, and I've heard him speak before, and it was wonderful. And then Simeon Zoll, the following morning, talked about theory of change in Christian ministry, using a phrase that he's often heard from Bonnie, his wonderful wife, about what about everyone brings to some kind of work with people, that is, academic work, religious work, um, medical work, a theory of change. What is it actually that by which a person who is in suffering can find the uh, seeds and ultimately the growth of change to ameliorate and improve their lives? And uh, he used that phrase, theory of change, um, in a way as an academic to bring uh, a deeply um, existential, beautifully delivered patient picture of what our theory of change is as Mockingbird, that is, uh, Pauline Augustinian Christians. Fantastic. Then Sarah Condon came along, and, and she had lost her parents, as we know, in the last year. Most extraordinary story. But in her... Um, her talk entitled Hope for Home Lost, not Hope for the Homeless, which was could, could be it, but Hope for Home Lost. Here she has lost a home, and she described um, really breaking down her childhood home and the home where her parents lived, which had all their things in it, which had never been sort of downsized, apparently. And at first I thought, oh, you know, this could be awfully subjective. And and by the time it was over, Sarah had gotten so deep. She had gotten deep to as deep as you could possibly get because she described finding something. I'll let you see the talk. She described her and her husband finding something unexpected in their parents' remains, the, 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 the things that were in the house. That was both hilarious unexpected and truly about as about as powerful an illustration and arresting and memorable. No one will ever forget it who heard it. And Mary, my wife, who couldn't come because of illness, and we had a wonderful nurse here for her, um, two people helping her. Um, Mary got up in the middle of the night, the night after it, couldn't sleep. And uh, she decided to go listen to Sarah's talk, live stream it, that is, but in the middle of the night. And Mary, just it, she had an abreaction. She utterly burst into tears. Mary's own psychic situation in the midst of this horrendous um, uh, health ordeal she's been through and still is emerging from. Sarah's talk touched something very, very emotional in Mary. And she just wept and wept. And uh, she said, and it wasn't actually the content, it was the spirit of Sarah's talk had an extraordinary effect on my wife. Now, I heard a couple of other, other breakouts later. Melina Smith with her kind and wonderful uh, associate uh, Karen and also um, Janet Broderick's amazing talk on the Holy Spirit. I didn't hear the others. And because I'm sick a little bit and I, I don't have as much, I have about six hours in me a day. I used to have 18. Now I've got about six. I was not able to hear the afternoon talks and certainly people are still speaking about Jason Michelli's, whom I did speak to directly during the conference. And then there were other fabulous breakouts in the afternoon. Um, but we concluded um, Friday with uh, a talk. Uh, I gave uh, my little drinks with PZ. And then um, Tom Holland gave a uh, really wide-ranging, ecumenical, uh, in the news, but in the now, in the heart, in the church, in the person from England, because he had had visa problems, and we had to have his talk Zoom directly from the English countryside by Tom Holland, and it was fantastic, and then the meals were all great, but I want to 
finish, the Abisca Disco was just, as it always is, an utter high point uh, directed by John Zoll. And it had a kind of, it had a kind of, uh, it wasn't, it didn't seem at all stagey this year. I mean, it should be stagey, but John just did it with this incredible music and this remarkable Czechoslovakian animator we love so much. I think his name was Zeman. Criterion Films did a CD of his work, and and uh, just uh, it was just fabulous, and everybody danced. And then on Saturday, after Andy Squires again, and um, very uh, um, fascinating talk. I could go on a lot about it by Anne Helen Peterson, and a wonderful talk by Todd Brewer on the insanity of Christian hope, which I thought was as good as anything Todd's ever done. We concluded with David Zoll doing a desperate gaze in a counterintuitive direction. I want to say two things about David's talk. David's, like Aaron's and like the other talks, was almost deeper than ever. I, I can't quite put my eye on it. I don't quite understand, but uh, these men obviously have lived life in a way that has given them a a gaze into the 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 real human um uh the, the, the pain of living uh, at, at an age where you might not see it when you were 25. And David showed us two things that struck me. He showed us a video from, I don't he got it from, oh, he got it from our wonderful friend, Jeff Dean, who was in Simeon's class at Harvard. And uh, through via Jeff, um, David showed a German, this sort of a German Ace Hardware-like chain, Hagendorf or something like that, Hagenbach. It's a, like Ace Hardware. It's a do-it-yourself do hardware store where you get stuff. And it's about a, a gothic, a young girl, high school girl who's a goth, dressed in black, and she's she's terribly mal, 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 maladjusted. We would say she feels she feels totally on the outside, and she's almost suicidal. And in this ad, the father, you must see it. You can get it. Look it up. Uh, a German hardware gothic ad. Um, the father uh, brings to her empathy uh, at the end using um, materials from Hagendorf or Hagenbach or whatever. And it is funny. It is deep. It is, makes you cry. It is arresting. It is short. It is as good as anything. And who in the world would have thought that a German hardware chain video about a young Gothic girl would absolutely shake us all. And then he ended by talking about Titian's painting of St. Dismas. That's the historical ecclesiastical word for the thief on the cross, who, as David and others have said, is the only person who is in the life and ministry of Jesus who we know is in heaven. He's the only actual one of all the different people whose lives the Lord touched. The only one we know for certain is in heaven, is he, because Jesus said to him, surely you will be with me in paradise this day. And Dismas is the thief on the cross who repented and said at the end, uh, we are paying the just penalty for our sins, but this man is innocent. Lord, will you love me in your kingdom? I mean, I almost get choked up even now. Will you, will you receive me into your kingdom? He humbly, at the moment of his death, asks uh, Jesus to accept him and take him in, and Jesus as you, the only one I've ever said this before in the last 33 years, you're getting the direct word. Well, what a thing. I mean, just think about that. Now, um, we're going to um, uh, talk about for a second unseen guest because the guest that was not there uh, was the whoever is uh, someone who both understands, really understands the depth and intransigence and immobility of the human tragic circumstances both within especially and without also us. Uh, and unless you understand what David Zoll in his new wonderful book called Low Anthropology uh, unwinds for us, you come up with the wrong answer. You, you, All your answers for the answer to the problem of being human will come up as being at best partial and often downright uh, completely doggone wrong. And um, 
anyone like St. Augustine, to quote Simeon, who understands the, the human problem will have felt that the mockingbird speakers, almost uh, almost to a man, understood and grasped the uh, depth of the human problem. And in the context, right down to St. Dismas, who, who was the only one let in, but at the very last minute, the fact that the tragedy can go to the very last minute and God still has a word for us and a word of mercy and, and what we today call inclusion, but inclusion in the true sense, not arbitrary, but based on his desire and empathy and compassion for those who have intractable problems. And I'm going to read who the real guest was. Have you guessed it yet? The real guest was Fulk Greville. Now, Fulk Greville was the Earl of Warwick in the period, uh, the last years of the reign of, the later years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. And he had a remarkable life and was a very, very devout Protestant Christian in the middle years of the English Reformation. And uh, the Earl of Warwick, you can visit his castle. We've been there and you can see his room. And he died at the hand of a disgruntled servant. He was a very good man. And he he ended up being stabbed to death by the by a disgruntled servant, angry over something about his will uh, that was not, had, uh, I mean, uh, here it was. And Fulk Greville wrote a great deal of poetry, uh, some of which is very good. And I'm just going to read my favorite poem of his. I'm actually just going to read two verses of it. This is uh, um, poem 99 in a series of poems that are called Kaelica, C-A-E-L-I-C-A. And they're mostly sonnets about someone named Kaelica. They're mostly love poems to a beautiful woman like Shakespeare's sonnets are. But the last 10 or 12 are of a um, Augustinian, Pauline, Mockingbird nature. And 99, which is my personal favorite, this is Fulk Greville writing about, oh, what, 1602, something like that. And this is the message of Mockingbird. And I looked across the church, and there in this large church, filled with people, filled with people come to the Mockingbird conference, was uh, Fulk Greville. I have a picture of him, but I'll uh, maybe David can find it and put it on the site at some point. He was painted right about the time he wrote this, uh, this poem. Sonnet 99, Calica. Down in the depth of mine iniquity that ugly center of infernal spirits, where each sin feels her own deformity in these peculiar torments she inherits, deprived of human graces and divine, even there appears this saving God of mine. Verse 2. And in this fatal mirror of transgression shows man as fruit of his degeneration, the error's ugly, infinite impression, which bears the faithless down to desperation. Deprived of human graces and divine, even there appears this saving God of mine. Now, I must, because I have one more minute, finish with the concluding verse. It's absolutely essential. Because Mockingbird left us, gave us reality, but it also gave us hope. For on this spiritual cross condemned lying, to pains infernal by eternal doom, I see my Savior for the same sins dying, and from that hell I feared to free me, come. Deprived of human graces, not divine, thus hath his death raised up this soul of mine. 
Folk Greville was the unseen guest, this powerful message at our conference. Now, I'm just because we were in New York City, I'm going to conclude with one of my favorite singles from the 70s by a group called New York City. It's a little ironic because it's only the half truth, but it's a great song. I'm doing fine. Love you all. <laughs> 